give that shit up, you're going to concentrate on golf. If you can dodge a wrench, you can dodge a ball. Great moments are born from great opportunity. You play ball like a girl! Welcome to this week's edition of a Roy Orbison Tattoo Podcast with me, Colm, and my co-hosts, Bossy and Paul. This is the coaching podcast with a difference. We watch a movie, it might help if you watch it too, we get a special guest on, and we discuss the coaching from the movie and how it relates to our own experiences. So whether you're in the car, out for a run or a walk, or just using us to cancel out the noise from the kids in the background, we hope you enjoy. Okay, so welcome everybody, and this week we are joined by Massey and Paul as always. Hi lads. How are you men? How are you getting on? How are things? Good, and I'm delighted to say we've got Shane McCormack with us as well this week. So Shane, very welcome. Thanks very much, folks. Thanks for having me on. Very good. And I suppose, Luke, you might just give us a quick background on yourself there for, for our listeners. Yeah, um, Wexford resident, uh, native, born and bred. Um, old fellas from Clammel, so if we go, go down any Tipperary roads there, we know there's a connection there somewhere. But um, yeah, um, sporting background, I suppose, ran most of my life, played football, Gaelic, um, never hurled, uh, I suppose it was 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 mad into the athletics. I suppose up to the age of nineteen, when I when I got a pretty pretty bad hamstring injury, um, that that kind of put a, put an end to that. So I I had a, a kind of an early entry into into coaching. So I started coaching locally in Wexford. I was lucky enough to come across to to you know a lot of extremely talented athletes, but I had the pleasure of coaching, uh, you know, t- David Hines to a national hundred meter title around a ten forty nine, and 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 a young schoolboy David McDonald who uh, ran a 10.52 and then obviously I'm involved with Phil Healy. So did a bit, the, the athletics will be my main, my main coach and grab, but obviously I, I, I do a little bit with um, Tipperary on the side as well, which is, which is a fantastic opportunity. Can you say Tipperary on the side? Keep in your hands in case anything goes wrong with them. Nah, <laughs> a small cog and a big wheel. I, I wouldn't like to oversell the, 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 the input or the impact I'm having there. So it's, um Yeah. Very good. And just on that, like you say, you're with Tipperary Senior Orders. Like, I know as sprint coaches, are county teams and kind of elite club teams looking more towards that as opposed to the traditional long-distance fitness coaches? Um, is there more of a slant towards that kind of power speed thing? Yeah, I think I think it's it's definitely you know it's it's it started shifting there you know a couple of years ago, but it, it seems to have gathered steam. You know, as, as a guy once said to me, like the the GA was kind of built on chasing fatigue, you know, chasing fatigue and chasing the gym. And, you know, somewhere in the middle, we, we, we sort of bypassed the, the fundamental athletic skill, you know, skill development, you know, athletic development and, and speed and power being, being, I suppose, the, the, the cornerstone of that. So, yeah, like I, to me, I, I, I think it's very relevant at a senior inter-county level, but I think it's probably more relevant at, at the beginning stages, nursery development up through the, through the underage. Like we shouldn't, it shouldn't be retrospective. It should be just part of the, it should be part of the fabric of, of, of GA training, right? It should be just, uh, you know, your warm ups should be very athletic based, focusing on, you know, acceleration, you know, speed drills, things like that. And, and it's not rocket science, I suppose. It's just, as you know, call them educating the coaches so they can they can coach the masses, you know. So, um, yeah, look, as you can see, look, the game is getting faster. So uh, it's obviously Excellent. a big part. How, how easy or how difficult is it to coach an adult who wouldn't have had the basic backgrounds of sprint coaching all the way up? Say you arrive in, say, Tipperary or any club team or county team, say a 22-year-old or 23-year-old whose technique is way off. Is it, do you have to break them right down or what way does that work? 
Yeah, I, I, like, I think you have to work with, 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 with a team of people, right? I think you have to look at the mechanics and, and figure out what, why they're, if they're moving poorly, right? Like you can probably up them into three different buckets of, you know, really, really good natural athletic people, people that need a small little bit of tweaking and then the ones that are like just at risk, right? You're just probably at risk of injury um, because of the way they're moving. And, and really then it's just, it's just trying to figure out why, why they're moving that way. Is it, is it a technical issue? You know, why can't they find the right positions? Um, and, and, and going back and maybe looking at their, their S&C and, and, and working with a physio. Um, and even simple things like their job, like whether they're sitting in a van or a car, you know, sales people and you know things like that like um, teachers are standing on their feet an awful lot you know might have you know calf issues and, and things like that so yeah I think I think it's very I think that the, the issues can be very individual but the, but the actual buckets that they land in can, you can probably generalize an awful lot so I think it's figuring out that issue and then when you when you know what the problem is working back from there and um, a lot of it can just be technical right and it's just yeah re rewiring them a little bit um, and then you know, the the worst end of the, the the I suppose the spectrum. It's it's you know really breaking down their their, their strength and and their power work and and working with maybe a physio. And and sorry, Shane. In terms of that as well, in terms of the language you'd use, we'd say in the specific athletics environment compared to being we'd say that small component in another multifaceted team sport like hurling. Is your is your language different or? Hundred percent. Yeah, no, it's you're, you're you're on the money. Like you have to, you have to get rid of the noise, right? You have to, you have to be very, you have to simplify it and be, be as very minimum effective doses, right? You have to find what well, what works. And obviously, the, like if I'm coaching on the track, you know, I could be there for two hours. You know, between like a warm up, sprinters warm up could be, you know, an extended into 40, 45 minutes before they're actually ready to do the core part of their session. The core part of their session could go on for forty minutes, depending on what it is. Um, so like, yeah, you, you have two hours then versus, you know, what you don't really want much more than, you know, a small window in, in, in a, in, in a, a field sport, um, session. So it's, it's figuring out what's the biggest bang for your buck. It's, it's not spending countless hours doing, doing drills that maybe aren't as effective as actually movement as in running and, and trying to tweak as the goal, small little things. And then simple things like, you know, running over wickets where it forces positions naturally, like it just forces players to find the correct positions and um, that's the little mini you know little mini hurdles that you, you see a lot of sprinters going through but stuff like that where you're just minimizing the noise you're minimizing the noise and you're trying to you're trying to elicit as much i suppose positive positive influence and, and and exposing them to i suppose a different neural stimulus um that maybe they weren't exposed to before in a very safe manner right so a lot of people think sprinting is has to be 100 and, and that's true right to a certain extent but you can make an awful lot of gains in the 90 to 95% window as well. Right. Which is a lot safer. Um, and for, for maybe for, for teams that are not used to, you know, um, sprinting in the first place, full tilt. Excellent. And just come back to the film, then you, you've picked a film. I, I hadn't seen it previously. No, with the, I suppose the name of it came up in a previous podcast with us where we were uh, the pronunciation of Gallipoli or Gallipoli. Um, came it up, wasn't we, Colm, it was you. <laughs> yeah, I, was, I was supporting our guest, Massey. But look, you've, you've picked uh, the film Gallipoli, uh, 1981 film based on the World War One, And I suppose, look, what, what kind of drove you down that angle? Um, to be honest with you, my dad was a history teacher, so he, I probably grew up with a, I suppose, a, I was immersed in history. Like he, he would have been, you know, very good at 
bringing me as a kid to different historical sites in Ireland and even around Europe. And I sort of developed a, I suppose, a graph for, for especially Irish history, you know, um, and he would have always, you know, he'd have dropped an old film in over the years, like, yeah, here, have a look at this one. And that one always kind of stuck with me because I suppose when I would have watched that first, I would have been, I can't even remember what it was made in 1981. It could have been, you know, nine, 10. And it, and it, it you know, it was probably a bit young to be looking at that type of film anyway, but it, 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 it stuck with me, right? Just because of, here's these guys that were athletes, you know, and they were the world at their, at their feet, you know, two different guys, right? Coming at life from two different different perspectives, but I suppose they had the common, you know, sport was the equalizer, right? When these two guys lined up, they were the exact same, it didn't matter, you know, where they were coming from. And and life was great. You know, you, you see in the film when he wins the, the, the gift race, there's, you know, there's a bear in his hand, he's been, you know, fed it around the place and it was just, life was great. Next minute they're gone to a war, you know what I mean? And their, their, their talent as runners then is now being used in this completely, you know, opposite end of the spectrum. To, to you know to, for the you know I could say the greater good or whatever like but to, to in in a war setting so yeah it ju- it just it, it, it was funny because when you re- when you reached out I was like you know what, that there was a it was always a film that that stood with me and I hadn't watched it in a long time so it forced me to to sit back and to be honest with you I went down a few rabbit holes because it it makes you kind of you know you Google now like you can start googling a few things and. I suppose there was a huge, you know, there was an undercurrent of a huge Irish connection. There is a huge Irish connection to Gallipoli anyway, because we lost something like 4,000, unfortunately 4,000 lives were lost, uh, Irish lives were lost in, in Gallipoli, but it was a huge amount of Irish um, Irish people emigrated to Australia and first generation ended up fighting, you know, joining the Australian and New Zealand armies and, and coming back the way to Gallipoli as Irish-Australian soldiers. Um, so, you know, and you can see in the film Mel Gibson's father is, a, is an Irish you know he's first generation Irish and what's funny is that you can you can see the, the different perspectives on the war right so you, you've the young you've the young guy um who's mad you know there was just seemed to be a kind of a let's go fight you know the Germans and let's do what's right by the country and then Mel Gibson was like a couple of his lines were like well you know, why would we want to do that like it's not our war you know and his dad was like you know they why would you want to fight for the British they killed your granddad back in you know, they hung him back in Ireland, like, so it, it, it was funny, because that was, like, it was a massive confliction there at, at times, more, none more so than back in, in Ireland, you know, around 1914 to 1918, with, with you know, 1916, sandwiched in the middle. Yeah, yeah, like, it was, I thought, that, that was really interesting, the Irish angle, it made me pick up a small bit, um, but, but, like, do you see, like, similarities in the, I suppose, the interference in potential with what we're dealing with currently? Um, though obviously we're not sending people to war and there's not people dying in the streets or anything like that but um, with the pandemic is that like people's careers are kind of being put on a stall or put, put or they're stalled I suppose are they? Yeah like, like you're, you're right like it's look a pandemic and, and a war they're, they're two different things in, in a lot of regards right it's it's but but, but with regards to sport like it, it has it has put it has put an uh, you know the brakes on an awful lot of activity as, as we've seen, you know, and, and none more so than, than than to kids. But I even see it in athletics. You know, my, my own sport. It, it, you know, if you're at an elite level, you were probably okay. You got to use the facilities and things like that. And um, while it's not ideal, you know, and then lack of races and things like that. So like, yeah, there was a year and a half there where, you know, the, there was there was a huge impact to everybody's life and like, let's not you know kind of undersell what happened like you know people lost their lives in this pandemic as well which is which is tragic so it's like look it's hard to talk about sport when when people are dying but 
to, to par- to, you know, not to park it, but to kind of to just to deal with the sporting side of it. Like, you know, I think just reading into it, like 1914 to 1920, there was no FA Cup played. Like it took the 1920 before an FA Cup came back, you know, even though the GA actually managed from 1914 to 18 to, to keep, it, was, it was the one sport that kept going, right? Because I suppose in Ireland, a lot of, the, you know, there was... A, a lot of you know a lot of people didn't go and join the British Army to fight the war, right? There was kind of the the nationalists' home rule was nearly there, and there was a whole different kind of a wave of nationalism happening where it was frowned upon. But again, a lot of people needed money and they saw this as a job. And you know, there was there was definitely an impact in, in Ireland, like um it would have been a massive impact in Ireland at that time with people emigrating and, and obviously going off to fight wars. So yeah, look at the, the you can you can you can draw comparisons in 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 the impact it's had, you know what I mean? That it stopped sport. Like I remember even with, with with Phil, like when it when the first wave kind of came out and it was we did you know we didn't know what we were dealing with, and we were tra- you know Phil was trying down the wall, which had everything set up, everything looked great for the Olympics, um, and next minute this kind of came around March, and I saw it happening around February. She was running her national indoors, and I was like, look, no chance that you know, writing was on the wall. I said this could be your last race for a while. Like what's what's kind of coming and. Turned out it was right. I was the I suppose the prophet I didn't want to be, but Phil, with everything shut down in Waterford, her training base, like being from West Cork, she didn't have facilities that were she was miles away from anywhere. So she, she looks we had to keep training with a view that the Olympics was going on still, right? So we we hadn't been called off at that point. So I was like, what, what, what can we do? So we, a friend of mine had a holiday village down or holiday college down in in Corriclo, So we we I put her in there, I put a, a bit of small gym in there. She had access to the beach, the forest, just for continuity, you know, so she could keep going and. And kind of living her sort of keep a little bit of her not excuse me her normal up um but i i'll never forget like so that only lasted about two weeks that we went like all right this is you know that 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 i remember that at the point in moment when um was a radcar at the time was the t-shock you know that first grim nine o'clock sort of announcement that the 2k you know all this 2k stuff was coming in you know with the lockdown was coming in and and I said to Phil, look, you may just you may get out of this house and move in with myself and Melissa and my kids and, and until this settles down, you know. So like that was, you know, that that the final moment, like, you know, to say pand- pandemics and wars, like to sort of have the the biggest impact on 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 life, you know. So yeah. And Shane, co- coming back to a point you made there about, and it's it's very clear you've a really strong knowledge of Irish and and international history. Have you ever used, be it local history or, or or Irish history, to support an athlete and try and develop their identity or or, or anything along along that that lines? Yeah, funny, funny you should ask this good question. It's Wexford is littered with seventeen ninety eight um, rebel camps. You know, or or you know, like a lot of forest forested areas that you know would have been. Um, you know, you use in 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 around 1790s uh, as rebel camps. And um, there's one place where we do hills, just outside of New Ross. Um, that that was one, and you know, it has the the history placards up, and you don't have to go too far. Like in Wexford, in Fort Mountain, there there's 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 other there's there's just it's just littered around the place. So yeah, I'd always it's funny you should say that because we I would bring them up there and. They don't, they don't listen to me anyway. Like I'd be trying to, you know, bring them, bring them back in time, and you know, imagine there was lads, that, you know, even what do that with my kids, like you know, up in the, up in the header and the moss and camping out, like you know what I mean. So, yeah, yeah, you, 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 like, 
we're a young country as well like you know what i mean we forget like how you know 100 years isn't you know as, as, as a as a republic i suppose is, is is not a long time so um it's it's uh it's easy it's easy it's easy for the next generation to to sort of lose touch with with that history you know a bit like Denzel Washington saw in Remember the Titans at Gettysburg, is it? That's it, yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, yeah. We never, we haven't, I haven't ventured up Vinegar Hill yet. I think it's a bit too steep for for hill sprints. So, uh, but I, I did, I did, I did do a recce mission up there one time. All right. So any day I'm feeling feeling a bit cruel, I might bring him up to Vinegar Hill one. And there was a, there was a part in the film there, Shane, um, where the trainer and the coach was getting him to visualize himself being a leopard and the importance of getting that focus how important is you find visualization for your sprinting and then can it be developed more into team sports yeah like there's look there there's always a place for visual visualization and um, I, I think it's maybe more so as a development on the way up and when athletes are developing and and you're you're because there's some in a sprint i suppose there, there's so many different aspects that they need to visualize right there's just to break it down simply there's the start there's the middle phase and then there's the hanging on keeping form phase so you you would bring a lot of that into the, the specific sessions so the, even with phil now like we would we would still do an element of visualization but it it's probably it's probably more it's probably bordered more on technical work than, than visualization. So she, she knows, she knows what she wants to, a lot of it is like uh, sensory, right? So she knows what, how, how she feels when she runs well, she's kind of progressed through the development of me telling her, I suppose, or showing videos and looking at things like that. I say, that's, that's what we're trying to aspire to be. Right. So she's probably mastered that and reached a certain level where it worked. Then went, okay, I know what that feels like. I always say to them after a good run, good training rep, lock that up, lock that up because it's neural. It's like you've done something with your body there that you've never done before, right? So you found new patterns or you found new positions that allowed you to run faster than you ever did, whether it was a good block execution or whether it was a transition into top speed or whether it was their, their maintenance phase. Let's say over 100 meters, it's the last 30 where they held together really well, their speed endurance is up. And, and you, you, you try to pick the specific phase and say to them, like, just, and it's not even visualizing it. It's like they've, they've done it so now that they can lock it up. Then you have it to dip back into it's that, in that visualization bank. Um, and, and one thing I suppose I would have done with Phil that I, I read somewhere else, some other, um, some other coach had used in the past when Phil, Phil broke her, her fifth met there a couple of years ago. And, you know, we, we were up against the clock with regards to coming back to racing the World Juniors at the time. And we were doing a lot of, you know, off feet stuff, bike stuff. And I used to do this um, thing where she just elevated herself and she, cause she couldn't put her feet on the ground. I didn't want her to lose the, the cyclical motion of running. Right. So she used to just elevate herself on one of those kind of, I think they're like a core, core pull up yoke. Um, and she was able to just run on it. But I put, I put a, a screen in front of her of say, you know, the race where she broke the national 200 record and she would just do the rep for the length of time of that 200. I know it sounds crazy. Right. But, you're 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 trying to attach the movement even though she's not on the ground to how she felt that day um i remember jack borley gave a speech in ireland there a couple of years ago or talk jack borley is a famous belgian coach father of a very famous um fa family of sprinters yeah um male and and and, and, and females as well and he he was talking about a time when was in amsterdam 2016 at the europeans and it was actually the it was one of the realized where um, David Gillick, uh, Craig Lynch, God rest his soul, uh, Brian Gregan, and um, 
Jeez, uh, I could be Brian Murphy. I can't remember. Just missed out on on the Rio Olympics by two hundredths of a second, right? So you're talking about. But anyway, parking that one of the Barleys, the brothers ran, not particularly well in the individual, was pretty pissed off. You know, didn't want to know about the relay. The dad went right. That's grand. You know, um, and he said, I, I, you know, he said to his other t- teammates, yeah, he can't, I can't use him now. His head is not in the game. I can't. He's, 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 no, he's detri- detrimental to the team. And then somebody pulled their hamstring in, in, in um, warm up one of the other guys. And he said, look, you're going to have to run. And he said, look, because he, he, he was very low. His time was way off what he should have, should have been at. And he said, he just took him aside, showed him a video of when he won European gold medal or it was a relay leg where he just ran unbelievable and he went out and he ran something like three seconds two and a half seconds quicker on the relay leg than he did in his individual event so it was just a, it is it's it's like visualization is so powerful but I suppose it's when what to use and when to use it at the different ages and um I, I think in a team setting right I think it's very easy I've had loads of time with athletes you know you you get to to, to talk about these things and I suppose with with um with field field based players, I suppose you're 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 nearly trying to just give them enough feedback that they know what they're doing wrong, so they can see positions maybe that they're running in or they're accelerating in, where maybe they're putting their foot too far ahead or you know they're they're, they're breaking you know center mass or landing too. So if you can give them that feedback, they can nearly self regulate or auto regulate, you know, and and you try and help them slowly over time, you know. But like what what you're looking for out of a sprinter you know as as you know you're looking for the inches the inches are all around you right but with, with, with i suppose field best players you're probably talking about a novice effect because they're not highly trained sprinters so you can elicit greater you can get i suppose greater returns for very you know i suppose relatively smaller sort of um uh, inputs but you you probably lose your life trying to spend a, ho- a whole amount of time on visualizations with, with a field best player just enough to give them and the ability to, you know, to take ownership and maybe self-regulate a little bit. Very good. But, uh, one of the things I liked about uh, the film, and it was actually, as I was watching, I was thinking back to the Liam Morgan episode with us, and he was talking about the Olympics and uh, I suppose the freedom of expression. And like, I loved the way that running was kind of a joyful thing for for, for um, Archie in particular to start, you know, when he raced your man on horseback. And also when they were in Egypt and they raced to the pyramids, you know. And it goes back to kind of a youthful just... Let's run for the fun, you know. Um, yeah. And like, I suppose, is is that an important aspect of your coaching that you got to try to keep that fun, the natural exuberance of just wanting to run for for running sake? Yeah, like you, there's a, there's a lot there's a lot in that. Like, first of all, Liam is just like he's what they say he's the coach's coach. Like he's he's like a poet, you know. I love I love listening to him. He, he just he speaks so well. I I, I could only aspire myself to try and, and, and speak the way he speaks but you can you can tell from him the passion he has you can never imagine him coaching you know in, in a manner that's like you know not positive or he doesn't you know he's not thinking about the athlete or or, who, or the player you know first and foremost so yeah like the, like in the film like that the lads are just they just love running I suppose it was simpler times as well and um you know, I think, and I, again, just just looking into the, to, to the to the history of the gift, the race, the gift, the gifts were, the the, the grew up around mining villages and towns in in Australia, where um, the the there was a, a piece of gold was apparently was put on offer for you know, and and they kept the races short. I think like the famous the Starwell gift ended up being sort of a handicap race. Uh, it's, it's still one of the most um, you know, the, the prize money for that race is, is still phenomenal today, um, but it, it was. Um, it was uh it was um yeah the group around mining town so like it was 
it's just lads there's nothing else to do and, and and because it was so hot over there i think it was a lot of you know a lot of english people moved down to the sites too hot for long races right so they kept it to, to, to sprints um and there was gambling and things like that involved so i suppose um, it, it served a purpose and it seemed to be very yeah free-spirited and you know, and even come back to like when we were growing up, you know, when we were growing up as kids, like we ran, we ran everywhere, we cycled everywhere, we races in the street, we bike races, we jumped off walls, and you know, we did things that I don't think necessarily that are happening as as freely today. Like I think life has become a little bit oh, I would say PC, but like it's you know, I, I don't think we I don't think you know we probably got away with murder in some regards as well when we were younger, but there was there was there was an expression of freedom, I think, that we had that isn't necessarily there, and it's nearly like it's nearly like we put too much into just to bring it back to kind of development squads and things like that, that you, you, you box things off and they become so sterile that you lose the ability to, to express yourselves and make say self-regulate, auto-regulate. Like people, as kids, we tend to figure things out ourselves, right? We, we may not be strong enough and like a lot, few people say, hey, can you have a look at my, you know, son or daughter, they're nine or 10, you know, they don't seem to be running too well. Like chances are it's because they're not strong enough, you know, they're, they haven't developed yet and, very hard to focus on kids' mechanics when you know that they haven't gone through, you know, puberty or their growth spurts or you know their 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 neural wiring windows or things like that. Like so, it's um, yeah, that that was that was a, that was a the, the good thing about the film. And I I remember reading a thing like he, he the director when he was going at it, he wanted to make this war movie. Like he wanted to just you know go full tilt on like you know um blood blood. Uh, guts and glory but he started reading apparently started reading journals and and uh letters home from soldiers and he just he he said the human side of it became more important than the war side of it because if you think about it it didn't really show a whole lot of war right up to until the end it showed like what was happening behind the scenes and on the beach but it wasn't like your typical war movie right so i think that was that was very interesting that he felt it was more important to tell two human stories than actually actual, you know go so deep into the war side of things you know what i mean and that that gave him the ability to show i suppose the two guys coming from different dif- different sides of the of, of the of the coin i suppose or different perspectives on war um and ultimately ended up with the same fate in the same place you know what i mean but the two the one thing to join him was was the sport you know but, but another thing that i thought as well and i suppose as a coach it's something that that we, I suppose we take for granted. But like Massey mentioned earlier about the coach talking about visualization, but at 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 Archie's end when he was going over the top and he knew that his destiny was was awaiting him, he was thinking back to what his coach had told him, and the impact his coach had on him, like was with him at the very end. You know, so the the feelings that that he he gave him, I suppose, like I suppose it's it's something important as well that you have a really good relationship with your athletes to be able to kind of get the best out of them, that there is a kind of a respect as much as anything else. Like, I don't know what other words you want to put associated with it, but it's important that there's a an understanding, I suppose. 100%. It doesn't work any other way. If, if it works any other way, you're, you're dealing with an extremely, you know, a, a freak of nature, talented athlete that will, will do good no matter what, right? And they're few and far between. And even at that, like, if you don't have a relationship with your coach, like, yeah, to leave your house before going to work with somebody right and that goes two ways the coach has to look forward to working with the athlete the athlete has has to look forward to working with the with coach you know but I, I remember growing up I, I had a coach in Wexford from like I had several coaches but like I was lucky as a juvenile we had a fantastic setup in, in Wexford Athletic Club you know and I was only talking to one of the one of the guys over in the local um he would have been one of the coaches back in the day but we had like 
we could have a hundred kids training at one point, you know, when I was about eight, nine, ten, which was phenomenal. Like, you know what I mean? A hundred kids in a field just doing, doing everything, you know. Um, and then and then as as I kind of got older, then I was lucky I had a I was lucky that I had a coach that made me feel that he massive, you know, he had a massive interest in my career. It didn't matter if I ran good or bad, right? He just he was always there. He was always there with the positivity, you know. If something didn't go right, you know, he always had a plan of, of how to tackle it differently. And it, it, one thing that stuck with me was he drove me everywhere. This, this, and, and everybody that I was training with and running with, the grow that he had for the sport and us, it just stood with me. And I, I suppose looking back on it, like I'd say I was always going to be a coach. Um, just because I, I just remember sitting in the back of his car going like, you know, and we were always having to crack and, you know, singing songs or whatever, like, but did, 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 you know, we, we went all over the country, like, and I was thinking, this fella's, you know, he's, he's putting himself out for me, you know, and that, that, that stood with me. And, and I think that's what w- would have encouraged me to become a coach. It's nearly that paid back type thing, you know, and I, we all get into coaching from, for different reasons and, 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 and different grows and things like that, right? But for me, it was like my, I suppose, one door closed and another door opened, right? And I felt I had an awful lot to offer the sport, right? And I was like, yeah, I was, I was, a, I was a handy enough athlete, but I wasn't, you know, I was, I was never going to go to the Olympics or anything like that, right? So it might have been, you know, meant to be per se, but I, I was just, I, you know, I was devastated for about a year and looking back on it, I probably wasn't equipped to deal with exiting a sport as quickly as I did because it was all I'd known, all I knew from the age of seven, right? And having a coach to be able to talk to through, through that was, was, was crucial as well, right? So it's one thing having a coach when you're in the sport, but like, who's there when the door closes, right? And, and like David Gillick speaks an awful lot about this as well. And, you know, obviously him being at the higher, the higher, the high, the lower, the low, right? And the highs that he's been at in his career, he always speaks very openly and passionately about how, he, you know, his journey and what, how it impacted him when, when his door ultimately closed, right? And, and you, but I was so young, I was like, yeah, I had the distraction of college and all of that, but I, I, there was still a want in me with this sport, you know what I mean? And, and I had a lot to give back, so it's cut a long story short, I suppose, as a coach, I try to instill that positivity back to anybody that I coach, right? And I suppose one of my biggest mantras, and it would have held me back a little bit at the start, was because I was terrified, was to do no harm, right? So do no harm means you don't, like, you, obviously you don't want, look, injuries happen, they're, they're inevitable, right? But you, you try to do what's right by the athlete to the best of your ability that you don't, you don't, you don't damage them, right? And look, as a coach, you, you, you go through periods where you do do the wrong things, right? And, you know, nobody hands you a blueprint for a particular person that says, this is what's going to work for them, right? I'm, I'm 21, 22 years coaching now, right? Which is, you know, I'm 42. That's, I, I would call myself a young coach, like, you know what I mean? But I've 22 years of wrecking people and fixing them, like, do you know what I mean? You have to go on that journey, I think, and you have to go to the dark places. And a lot of it is resilience, but one thing I try to do is, you know, and I'd like to think, and you know, I know the lads do. We do have to crack as well when we when we train. If you see, don't like it's it's a it's a it's a look. It's a tough enough sport as it is. If if training isn't enjoyable, and I do think there's a ten percent in everybody that you can you can put you can drag out of them. Like we're just, you know, like lying to them. And I don't mean lying, but I mean like just tell them that they're great. You know, you don't always have to give them the right time. You know, <laughs> letting all my secrets out. Like, but you don't have to tell them. You don't have to tell them the time is the time if it's not a good time. You can take half a second off it and what difference do they know? Do you know what I mean? Like, so you can, there's a few little tricks along the way, but ultimately like make them feel good about themselves. And, you know, athletics is a very individual sport. What I try to do is 
you know, and at times I probably had a too big of a squad because you can't individualize things. So I've about seven or eight and we are tight. It's a, it's a, it is like a team and we try and make, create that, you know, that team spirit that you wouldn't necessarily get in athletics, but you would get in, into GA and soccer and rugby and things like that. So I, I look to me, it's, you can't underestimate the power of positivity and, I do see you do you tend to see and look to be honest with you, it, athletics is a tough sport on coaches as it is on athletes because it is a very individual sport and you you're left you're left with your 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 own head a lot of the times you know what I mean you're you know I know a lot of coaches are very deep thinkers anyway and if things aren't going well you tend to beat yourself up but I think you have to have to I think the big thing about coaching and, and keeping the positive if it's not going well what what's your uh, what's your exit strategy and I don't mean exit to get out but like how do you stop put the skids, put the brakes on and figure out, well, what's going wrong? And I think a lot of it in athletics is nearly back to fundamentals. Like, you know, is this athlete fit enough? Is this athlete strong enough? Is this athlete happy? Is there something going on in, in, in outside your life? And I think athletics is one of those sports where you probably know a lot more about somebody, you know, life in general, because you can do so much to help them. Like, is there stuff going wrong in college? Can I talk to the lecturer? help them get support through that and things like that. So the Waterford Institute of Technology is where I operate out of. Like they've been, they're fantastic with things like that and, and support and filling and everybody else. So yeah, positivity all the way. Lee Morgan. And just on that as well, like you mentioned about trying to make a team out of, the, out of them, like we had John Murphy on last week and he's done some of his research was people in team sports of more than three had a much kind of better feeling about themselves their mental health, health well-being is that something that you're kind of trying to get out of the team environment that they're kind of have people to fall back on and people to support them or is it just kind of just something that kind of naturally evolves with your coaching and your own knowledge yeah like well i suppose it, it, it serves a couple of purposes like you need, look every athlete needs a training partner right to, to 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 get them through the you know the winter months the slog things like that so yeah but it's definitely to have you know if there's something like they may not always want to talk to the coach. Like, I don't like, I'm not going around saying, Hey, you know, you have to tell me everything, but like the develop relationships where they become, you know, just three of them live in the same house together. Like Phil, Phil lives with um two guys there, J- Jack Pender and, and, and Aaron Tierney Smith, like who are her training partners. And she, she'd be lost without them. You know what I mean? Like there's a big part of her Tokyo journey that will, will be, you know, forever. She'll be forever indebted to those two guys and, and everybody else in the training group. But, but they've been there through through you know the last last couple of years with her so they would be very tight um and and would you know look after each other that way so it's yeah it's probably it could be even you know it, it, the support network there could be even tighter than what's in a team right to a certain extent because they're they're, they're living you know in each other's shoes <laughs> sometimes that's not always a good thing like but but yeah it, it does it creates that positive environment and you have to be careful as well you have to protect it right because it takes a long time to build up you know, like I said, I'm 22 years coach, and like somebody always said to me, like, you know, coaches are like platforms and, and athletes are like trains, you know, they come and go, right? So you have to be careful, like, with, with a, as a coach, you're, you're building, you know, you're, you're building a squad for a couple of years. And, and if you get it to a place where it's good and it's tight and it's positive, you know, you don't want to go upsetting that either. Like, you got to you got to protect what's what's good and what what makes what makes um what makes it good. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, yeah. I'm not sure if that answered the question, but yeah, <laughs> no, absolutely. Well, the platform, the platform and trains thing is a, as good as an analogy as I've heard. So, it's well, yeah. for that alone, um, oh, it's excellent. There was, there was a there was a scene in the film there, Shane, where he uh, raced against the horse, and obviously raced the horse, and the uncle was absolutely disgusted um, that he wasted his energy. 
Um, like, I suppose as an athlete, and I suppose this time of year where people are coming back training and they're heavy loads after not uh, training over the winter and stuff, how important is we have rest between sessions? Like I remember like listening to Rob Heffernan with Disco a few years ago, he said his most important training days was actually his rest days. So how important is to get that balance right for an athlete and say for an individual player or team player? Yeah, like I, I read a good line before of an Australian, famous Australian coach, Mike Hurst, um, you know, a huge stable of 400 meter athletes out of Australia over the last years. But when he was talking about his training program, um, he was called his rest days, his, his insurance policy. Um, and he, like, I think it's a, it's a great way of looking at it. It's, 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 your, it's your way of ensuring that you're, you're not, you're not, you know, pushing the athlete into the red. Now, look, there's, there, you have to look, you have to go to the well. It's, it, look, you're not going to, you're not, you have to, to, to force adaptions, you have to go to the well, right? But it's, it's what type of a well are you going to, how often are you going to that well? You know, are you, you are you being greedy and are you taking too much water from that well? And, you know, that's, that's where, you know, you, you need to look at data. You need to talk to the athlete, like some of my, you know, I used to do wellness, you know, feedback and, you know, see a lot of GA teams, you know, like, and, and for a team, you, you have to do it because there's just too many, there's too many people in a team, right? And I think they're, they're fantastic, you know, wellness scores. Um, but I, I found just because I see them every day, I would say like, well, how are you feeling today? And body language nearly, you know, gives you as much as, you know, and then you can see, like, I, I would, you know, part of my training, um, we do a lot of jump testing and that gives me immediate feedback because I'm only dealing with a handful of athletes, we can do some simple counter movement jumps and, you know, jumps and things like that that gives us scores. And we, I have data on Phil going back to 2014. So we've, 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 we've good norms, we've good KPI. So, and I actually know like some jumps, they, they could be down, but like, that's nearly what I want. I always know like based on say where we are in the program, I, I, I want her tired. Like now don't get me wrong. There's, there's a difference between tired, fatigued, and then like, stressed and completely in the red right you try to manage that and it is a fine balance neck but the longer you know somebody the more you know what you can do with them right and there's places where we, we like we have limits like we know now where we can go training ways and what works so that obviously helps and it, it, that only comes with time right so yeah look i'm with a team it's, it's very it's, I, I don't envy somebody you know having to manage squads at the moment because it's squads ultimately are, are just made up of individuals and everybody has a different life going on and everybody's different levels of ability, you know, handles volume differently than speed. So like, you know, it's very, very hard to individualize it. But I think, I think we've come, look, I think the, the sports science has come far enough now that it, it has made life easier. And even the, like, you know, GPS and things like that do, do allow teams to track. But as I always say, put the rest days in there anyway, put your insurance policy in regardless of what you're tracking, because, you know, a, a healthy athlete is an athlete that can compete. A healthy player is a player that can play. And, you know, that ultimately that's what, that's what you want, but it, it is a fine line because, you know, and, as, and you see the GA season, now, especially at inter-county level, it is, a, it is a small window to, to get ready. And you saw like last year with the, with the broken championship, how it was just, you know, it was, it was, it was, I think it was horrible on teams to, to, to kind of expect them to come out. And what, what I don't like about something like that, like, and I get why it's, it's important and look, there's, there's, there's monetary reasons there's the good of the nation like it was a great uplift and you know um i suppose like it but but you know fellas and, and and girls that are that are getting injured sometimes these injuries stay with you as well and you don't get rid of them you know what i mean i that to me like i'd be very much on an, an athlete or a player welfare side of things where 
like a grade two hamstring strain or, you know, you know, growing strain, sometimes they, 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 they don't go away. Right. So at some point we have to, you have to put like the player first and think like, okay, is this window long enough? Knowing, knowing the teams are going to train. Are we giving them a window that's safe enough for them to train or are, are we putting them in a position where they're going to go hell for leather and, and try and squeeze it? I'm not saying that's happening now, but like, you know, it, it, it it's, it's very, you know, it, 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 sometimes it can be very, it can be very, uh, yeah, you, you can, you can squeeze the window so tightly that it's, it's, it's only going to end up in one way, you know. Another perspective there on, on that scene where, where you've raced a horse or whatever, um, like he obviously, he obviously wanted to do it to to make a point to to your man after a bit of a altercation or whatever. There's also the element of athletes need blowouts as well, and they need to do something completely outside of that. We'll say twenty four hour athlete side of things, where their recovery days, or as you call them, the insurance policy, they're actually still actively working them day on that day because they're trying to do everything right to recover well, like that blowout and, and, and as a, a coach or a manager, knowing when to give the opportunity for that blowout because it'll have better psychological effects down the line for, like that's, that's something that needs to be factored in as well. Now that wasn't how it was laid out in the film, but that's kind of, I was looking at it from, from that perspective as well, you know? Yeah, and even like I suppose to, to to bring it back to the film again, like before they headed off the war, they're all in the in the pub and they're having points because they know that this is probably the last time that they're going to be in that situation again. So it's it's in some ways it's you know it's not tying it back to the sport element, but it's like you have to sometimes you just have to give like the freedom and just go back and not be it's it's not like it's not normal to be an athlete. <laughs> do, do you know what I mean? Like normal is. You're, you know, you have a day job, you have kids, your family, like that's in, in, you know, life would try and tell us that that's normal, right? Everybody has their own normal. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to, to box life, but like being an athlete or being a, you know, being even, a, even a, you know, a club player or, you know, it, it's, you do sacrifice, you, you sacrifice a huge amount of your life. You know, I even remember playing, you know, junior and intermediate football, like at the time, you know, that's all that matters. It was just junior and intermediate football. And I think it's easier in a team setting as well to have those little blowouts and probably have too many. You can probably have too many blowouts as well, right? But, um, uh, but for an athlete, because it's well, I suppose it's look taking taking somebody like Phil, who's 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 pushing for an Olympics, and you know she's been running internationally, I suppose for since two thousand and fourteen. Her blowouts are, would maybe be different. She she like going going out for dinner or going even going home to West Cork to her family and meeting her friends and things like that, that sort of mental release is somebody else's going out for a few points, you know, or, you know, and we, have, we, we always try to put, we operate in four week blocks. I'm very conscious, like Phil is very driven and a part, of, a big part of my job is, 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 is managing that drive. Right. And, and making sure that she, you know, cause you have to put safety nets around Phil. She will do exactly what it says on the tin. So I have to be, quite clear and instructions on the tin say to do x y and z but then put in the insurance policy every fourth weekend is off it's a three-day i nearly give it like you know she could train friday the morning and that's her last session till tuesday so there's four days there of a break you know it's not a full week but it's four days that phil can go back to cork and spend four days every four weeks because she won't do that when she's training in the block because she has the training partners and it's what's important so that 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 does build up right and you know and, and i think a lot of people 
sort of looked at the lockdown, the first lockdown and last year as an opportunity to, to, to train more or, you know, and I think, I think that kind of wore off in the end, but like I saw it as an opportunity with Phil to actually chill out and she'd been competing internationally since European juniors in 2013 and had gone full tilt and had put a lot of mental energy into that. And then at the disappointment of Tokyo being canceled, not knowing if that was going to come back next year, that whole uncertainty, that's, mental that's a mental toll as well that's that's you know extra worrying and I said look there's no point in just trying to train through this as you know full tilt because come September when things hopefully you know last September when we felt that things were going to be better and in a better place they said you've been European indoors in 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 March I want your batteries fully recharged so that I can you know do what we what we want to do from September to December because Phil broke a foot in 20 uh 19 and we actually you lose a year you never you never get to make that up again you, you sort because you lose three months or four months it takes an awful long time to kind of find you don't get nowhere so like some people like might have looked at it and went, oh, here, we can get it back now and i was like no do you know what like just you know and i'd look at, for right or for wrong i didn't know whether it was the right thing no she trained she moved in with us because we had to do something but we kept it simple like you know we ran we did the 1798 forest runs we did the down the beach and you know, my wife has a Montessori school here and I put a few weights in there and things like that. So like we, we, she completely like just switched off and was able to chill out. And look, I, I, I'm i not saying that had anything to do with her coming forward to the European indoors, but I know come September, she was ready to rock. She was ready to go to work again. And I'm not sure if we had trained tr- fully through that lockdown because we ran one race last year, it was National Seniors, right? The week before that, she knows so much about her body and times and things like that like she, she knew she wasn't in a place where she was saying 2018 and I was like Phil I don't want you there if I if you were there it means that I've trained you really really hard to get into that shape and I said you're in good enough shape to still win right you have enough strength speed endurance enough qualities and look ultimately she did she, she did she did she won the the the, the 100 and 200 she did the double right um which was fantastic but she knows so much about herself that she knew going into that championships but she trusted me in that. No, she trusted me the whole way up. You get to that week before Nash, she's like, oh, I'm not ready, you know, hitting the panic button. I was like, no, nah, no, nah, you're grand, you're grand. And then she knew come September that she had all that energy to put into it. And within four weeks from September to October, like she was just up at a different level. And I, I think it was just that, just that mental, I know you were probably talking about like micro breaks as in like, you know, going to the, you know, going out for a pint or going for dinner with your friends. To me, this was a this was a big break. This was that she needed this break, and I think it's definitely given her a new lease of life going into this year. You know, because I wouldn't underestimate the, anybody that was in a, a Tokyo kind of spot that impacted that being kind of ripped away from you would have had on them. You know, as much as it say like, ah, look, you know, we'll wait and see. I could only imagine what was going through you know anybody's head at that point. You know, very good. And one of the things you, you mentioned there, small the fact about. Uh... I suppose the, the pressure that was put on intercounty teams last year and stuff like that. And there's a small bit of a similarity in the in the film. Um no, we're not going to go in at any forward bashing or anything like that, but it was just where the, the people at the top were were making decisions for the people at the bottom. And the people at the bottom knew what was right and it wasn't being taken into account. Like and just before we came on there you now tonight, I don't know if you've seen the clear under twenties, I don't know if the footballers or hurlers had to do a fundraiser to raise some money so they get food after their training sessions. But at the meeting tonight, the county board meeting, the treasurer gave out about the player and what was he what was his motives about going public and trying to raise money so that they'd get fed after trainings. And they kind of go, sometimes like 
if they're not working together, I'd imagine it could be very, very hard for the athletes to, to excel if they're not getting the support at the top level. Like. No, you, you, like you're, you're dead right. Like it, it becomes very, uh, you become very isolated, right? And I think, I, yeah, I'd, I'd, like big part of what I try to do is like, with, just to be not talking about Phil, I suppose, but like Phil, I coached Phil remotely when she was studying. She started off studying being a nurse, which is not really conducive to um, high performance athletics. So she flipped and she moved into IT. But I knew she was going to come up to WIT and, and do a master's. And part of what I had to do then was build a support team around Phil so that when she came to Waterford, that she didn't want anything. Like, there wasn't going to be an excuse. I wasn't going to turn around. Like you, you hear a lot of people saying now about the Olympics, you know, oh, there's, there's so much more money in such a country or do things better in such a country. Like, like I can turn around. Like, oh, you know, we, we, we're not performing where we want to perform because of X, Y, and Z reasons. You can't have any excuses. If you have excuses, there shouldn't be excuses, right? Because a lot of what we can do, yeah, money helps. Don't get me wrong, money helps. But for me, for Phil, having money is so that she can, she can just live, as in like just survive day to day, that she can be a professional athlete, right? Which is what ultimately she is. But WIT have come in, she's doing still, you know, a, a kind of an extended master. So that gives her a focus, but putting like like the, the Clare footballers like all they're trying to do is build a small part of a of a, of a network for themselves a high performance I don't even call it performance bandied around word but a support network so that they don't turn around and feel that they're losing out on something or that there's there's a want in them that somebody else has um because look at the end of the day like it, it's it's Rob it's Rob, Rob Heffernan you mentioned earlier on like you know he's coaching a, a, a couple of walkers that are going to ultimately compete in in um in Tokyo, right? But as he said, like he had to, his famous word is drive on. He had to drive on through all the lockdowns, no different than anybody else did. Because as he said, like you can't toe the line in Tokyo and turn around to the fellow beside you and go like, hey lad, take it easy on me. You know, there was there was a lockdown in Ireland there and we, we, we weren't able to do the things that you were able to do. So you, look, every country has had a different experience, but you, you just try and find the ways as best you can. And, and you can't fault anybody for trying to do what's right for, for a player or for an athlete, if it's conducive to a better performance. And if you don't have joined up thinking at the top, you know, like in the film, you're just, it's, it's a recipe for disaster. You know what I mean? And communication, I think, I think, I, I, I think a good undertone of the, of the film is, is communication, right? Because they're so reliant on these lads back in the day. For communication because obviously you know telegraph wires and things like that weren't weren't as trustworthy um and, and they really just depended on these lads like life or death situations to to, to run with a message and you know i think in 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 reality they, they used to send three three lads off at the same time because there was a good chance that two you know might get killed on the way like so i think yeah it just shows right and not, and not that the message they were delivering was the right message but it just shows that you know how how, how important communication is and i think yeah, I think if you have somebody with the right vision at the top and is open to, you know, doing things and, and taking feedback and constructive constructive feedback, um, it's only going to benefit everybody top down. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think it was I think it was a bit of a historical inaccuracy in the film in that the person who was given the orders, they hadn't portrayed as as British, but I think he actually was Australian. Could be I read that there. I read that there today. It was a nice bit of Brit bashing in the in the film. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And look, I, I, I like it would have been. I can only imagine what it was like back in Ireland for for soldiers returning from 
from places like Gallipoli and because there was definitely an element anything you read like these 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 soldiers were 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 nearly kind of frowned upon you know what I mean and and um for taking the, the queen's shilling so to speak um when I suppose the, the nationalist side of things was 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 only getting bigger and bigger in, in Ireland at the time and there's some interest in you know just as I was reading it like there was there were some interesting angles on it like the, there was there was a whole I know rugby would have been predominantly at the time a very you know English you know um driven sport you know but there was there's there's a story called the, the it's called the IRA the, the rugby pals and it was basically just um the IRFU basically all everybody that kind of played rugby just joined the Dublin Fusiliers and became a whole regiment themselves um, but were, were decimated like day one nearly heading over to Gallipoli and when they returned they were a much smaller um, unit and they came back in 1916 and um, they were doing a, a training mission in, in Ticknock in, in Dublin Mountains and, and as they were coming back they, they actually got attacked by uh, um, De Valera's unit and, and there was a couple of them, of them shot so it's, it's just again, like that, that whole time in Ireland is, is so conflicting with you know 1916 and then the civil war and you know friends turning against each other and um, and even I think some of the soldiers that were sent over in 1916 to quell the, the rebellion were, 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 were Australian um, and, and English soldiers that would have fought in Gallipoli as well, like that, didn't want to be there and doing what they were doing because they'd fought side by side against against these uh, uh, with, with, with Irish soldiers, you know. Um, so yeah, and, and even like just I, I'm digressing now, but like there's 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 a very interesting um, story about a famous Wexford footballer, James Rossiter from from Castlebridge, who fought, <laughs> I suppose you, 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 Wexford went on a had a the glory four four years of 1914 to, to 18 where they won um, four, four football titles um, but he played in, in two All-Irelands in in uh, sorry 15 to 15, 16, 15 to 18 Wexford won he would have played in 13 to 14 I think they were beaten by Kerry in, in 14 um, and he 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 would have been friendly with um, uh, a brother of John Redmond who was the, the home rule I suppose he was the nationalist but he was he was pushing the home rule agenda and then when home rule I suppose got uh, parked because of the war and they needed more soldiers and wanted the Irish guys to join this this James Rossiter joined up um, and and just missed out on four and he ultimately was killed in 1915 as his teammates were playing you know in all Ireland finals so like and he there was letters that went back that they have thankfully today and he said he was more he was more nervous playing in all Ireland finals than he was uh, leaving the trenches to fight the Germans, so like that shows the mindset of some some of these guys. But yeah, look, I, so some insight into. I know it's not directly related to the film, but like these, the, there was, you know, bring I suppose tying it back to sport and how it impacted. Like there, there, there's a guy who gave his life for I suppose you know the the greater good. That was ultimately you know one of the you know all time great Wexford footballers that unfortunately um and, and, and as another side, Harry Boland refereed that nineteen. I found out Harry Boland refereed in the 1914 replay between Kerry and Wexford. So that ties it all up. There's a brilliant song by Shane McGowan, the Pope. Maybe it's a cover of it. Um, the band played Watson Matilda. Yeah. And it really, it's just shows the, 
the tragedy of Gallipoli for people who came back injured and maimed. And it's uh, really watching the film really put that song in perspective. Like it's just when they went over the top, though, it's really powerful. Oh, powerful you're, 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 you know, and you're, you're, you're dead right. And I, I'm a big fan of McGowan's and I always was growing up. But I think his version of that, it's nearly like he, he, you know, that he's feeling the history. You know, he, he really brings the, more so than any version I've heard, like he brings the whole sort of, he nearly makes it feel like, what was this for? Like, why did these lads? And, you know, there's, there's even a, an inaccuracy, historical inaccuracy in, in one of the lines and that they gave me a tin hat. They didn't, they didn't have tin hats till 1916, I think. And they reckon that if they had tin hats in, in Glippley, they would have saved an awful lot of lives. But, you know, there's, there's a great, there's a great line in, 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 well, it's not great, but like it sort of brings it all back to the, the tragedy of war. Right. So, we buried ours and they buried theirs and then we started all over again. Like they, they were doing ceasefires, burying their dead and then going back at it again. Like it just, you know, I, I think it puts life in perspective and I think, I think the pandemic has, has given everybody a new sense and a new lease of life. And, and that's why it's kind of hard. You see, I, I hate reading about the, the, the rules and the route in Harlan now and the impact it's having on the game. Right. And like, yeah, if you're the purist, obviously you'd, you'd have an opinion. But don't forget, like last, like ten weeks ago, we were playing. We, you know, like if we didn't have a vaccine, God only knows what we'd be doing. So it's very easy to fall back into the norm and and accept life as it is. I think, I think we'll be better people if we somehow, as painful, you know. And and look, I'm lucky that you know COVID didn't directly impact me, but an awful lot of people in in Ireland around the world have been you know tragically impacted, and that's no different than what a war has done. And we have to remember that, you know. You know, uh, was it, uh, uh, you know, after the darkness, there's always there's always light. So I think I think it's too easy just to go back into what way the way we used to be. I think if we have a little bit more gratitude and and just be grateful for for the the ability to you know just running, you know what I mean, and, and training and having the crack like that's that's huge. You know, that's life. Yeah. Anything else in the film lads before we wrap up? Good stuff. Just, just uh, want to ask Shane a question there about uh, the depth of Irish sprinting now. Say compared to going back, say 20, 30 years ago. Like said, I was growing up watching Olympics. Because you'd had your one hundred and ten meter herder TJ, TJ, TJ Kearns, yeah. then later Paul Hessian and Dervla and stuff. Yeah. But now the depth, like what happens that we created that depth of talent? Or was it always there? It's just that we were coaching in what way? Um, yeah, it it probably comes in in waves. I think. I think around the, the TJ era, there, there was that wave, like ECH was a, was a very prominent club at the time, Dublin City Harriers, that it was nearly like an Irish international team at the time. You had like, we had international throwers. We had, you know, we had like the, the, the middle distance was on fire. Sprinting was, you know, TJ was representing in, in, in three Olympics, I think he went to, and um, followed mostly by Sean Cahill from Mead, who was, you know, you know, was in the shadow, I suppose, of TJ and didn't really get to, exp- you know, get the, the limelight that he probably deserved as well. But ultimately went on to coach um, Durville with, with, with his wife, Tariq. Um, so, yeah, I, I, like, I, I, think, I think it's just waves. I think we've been lucky in that there's been a, a, a sort of a, a new wave. I think as well, coaching knowledge has probably progressed a little bit. But then when I look back at who was coaching back then, these are all people that I would still, you know, regard as like, guru coaches and i don't think the, co- the, the the training aspect hasn't changed a whole lot um i think yeah i think i think people i think people were 
I think they understood the art of culture maybe more back then. I think there was definitely an understanding of that didn't have a whole lot to work with. We look at the sporting facilities we have now in the country, right? We've no excuses. I remember, I remember when Stargate and down to Carlo used to have a revolving door of, a, of Olympic sprinters and jumpers and coming through his uh, for treatment. And, you know, he used to put on a few talks. And I remember one of the Jamaican sprinters at the time saying he would give anything for the facilities in Ireland. He says, you've no idea what we have in Jamaica. It's just like, now look, they have good facilities, but it's like, it's his gym is like in a shade, you know, it's it's like a grass track, which is not bad, right? They get the weather, grass tracks are, are, are good, you know, better for the body and things like that. But he couldn't get over the facilities we have. So I think that facilities is one reason why things have got better. We've two state-of-the-art indoor tracks and there has been investment in facilities. There's been investment in, um, in, in a lot of things, but I think... I think a lot of the the the, the success. I think the, I think there needs to be now a, a sort of a secondary wave of investment in coaching. I think we need to. I think we need to. Um, I need we need to put in our insurance policy for the future with regards to the transfer of knowledge to the next generation. I think there might have been a window missed between the TJ Cairns era and this era. I think people, David Gaelic, um, and David's been a great soundboard for me over the last couple of years. I'm lucky to have to have his ear. So. It, it's 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 trying to join the dots between those that were successful to this generation and it's the little nuggets that they give you you know what i mean like i remember david um joined us on a session there just before phil and and sophie becker went to european indoors and i would work closely with sophie's coach jeremy Lyons, who runs the dublin spring club up in dublin right but david came to a session and we just let him on it we just walked away we just let david just talk to the two girls and this, the stuff that he was giving phil and sophie like phil was repeating that to me the day of the final she was it was something that stuck with her you were talking about say what the coach and Gallipoli was saying stuck with that guy sometimes it's not always the coach that will say something it's somebody else that they respect and people like David are very good with their time and they'll give it back so I think it's I think that's key I think I think we're just there's a wave here that we have to capitalize on and ensure that it progresses and I think it's not luck right it's it's there's reasons why talent comes through but um I think it's always been there. Do you think it's just been an Olympic year, maybe with teams qualifying and things like that? And we do look. There's some great people like the, the, the Phelan Kelly. He's gone nearly professional as a coach up in Dublin as well with his endurance runners. Like you've some top guys up there, Paul Robinson, Mark English. You know, like real, real international, world class athletes um, with medals. And he, but he's committed his life now at the moment of time to being a full time coach. So it's that type of commitment for very little monetary reward, right? So it's it's a lot of it is passion and grow is the reason why you're seeing, and that's endurance. I know your, your question was specifically around sprinting, but a lot of it is down to coaches just sacrificing their time. Like I have a day job, not to be talking about me, but I do have a day job. I have a family. Like I coach kind of in my spare time, right? What little, little I have because I have a grow, right? But what happens to the, you know, we have so many good clubs around Ireland with fantastic coaches who are coaching juvenile athletes. You know, what happens if the next Phil Healy turns up or the next Paul Hessian turns up or the next Rashida Adelecki turns up and that coach doesn't have the ability to, you know, invest in them or invest in themselves. So I don't I don't really particularly have I don't sorry, you know, I kind of went around the houses on that. Well, I, I don't have a I don't have an answer. I think I think it just happens in waves. But for me, if we don't invest in coaching, you know, it it it's it, it's we're 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 gonna lose the next wave. This should be you know, this should be a feeder. This should be a feeder now. You know what I mean? Like success breeds success. And you can see, you know, even taking, you know, like Limerick, you know, and, and what they did 10 years ago, say, you know, just been kind of held as the, 
you know, in, in, in hurling terms, like the, the invested 10 years ago, now maybe they're getting the, the fruits of that. But like you have to, that's fine, but you have to keep building on that. You have to keep regenerating that as well. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I think, yeah. And uh, just to go back, Ireland is not conducive to sprinting. So it's, it's, it's always like, it's not, we don't get the weather. It's, it's not, you know, it's, it, and you do, you need hot weather to, you need the heat to run fast, right? So it's been, I think it's even more impressive, but it's not a, it's not a mistake that, we tend to excel more nearly in the, in the kind of the 400 meter area at the moment. I think the, you know, like, I think it suits our, I think it suits our DNA, right? Cause there's an element of, you have to do a little bit of the grind work, but you also have to do a little bit of speed. But I think that, you know, that, that 200, 400 meter areas is, unless you go, you leave the country, you know what I mean? Unless you move away, like, you know, Rashida's moved to Texas, you know, which is obviously more conducive to running fast as well. So, you know, and, and a lot of, a lot of Irish, sprinters i suppose would have would have, would have left but but derville did it on on home soil you know paul hessian did it between ireland and scotland um you know david did it between ireland and england you know phil has done it all it, fully in ireland you know what i mean um so like it, it it's doable and i think these people have given me the belief and given everybody else the belief and phil the belief that you can do it you know what i mean like phil came forth at european indoors she's from ballonine in west cork not, that's not i'm not but like She's no different than anybody in any village or town in Ireland with the with the drive and 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 the passion and and the talent, right? And it's not all about the talent. It's 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 just it's going after it. and she went after it and she wants she wanted this, you know what I mean? So I think um it's as coaches harnessing that as well, because there is a lot of talent out there and and it's just being able to harness it and and to drive it on. But this success will only breed success. Like I said, there is a there's a relay that's qualified for Tokyo, but not everybody's ticket is punched so it's a massive carrot for sprinters in ireland at the moment over the next five six weeks to step it up and and secure a ticket to the olympics you know that's brilliant um and i think shane one other thing with the athletics i suppose that you've, that i kind of noticed would be the geographical spread it, it doesn't seem to be you have to be from a b or c to have a chance uh, you know you'd hear as i said you've mentioned sligo there's waterford there's balneen and west cork like um you know it does i suppose it's probably a lot of it now i'd like to think is the opportunities for people who, and, and there's so much the facilities, as I said, I'm just thinking back, Jesus, there's, there must be a track now in every major, major urban area or close enough to it for people to, to excel like so. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I think, I think there's opportunities there as well, to, like to, to cross pollinate between field sports and, and, and athletics as well, because we have, you know, at the end of the day, GA was the Gaelic Athletic Association and something that I would always harp on about with it's, it's nearly, it's about time that nearly, not that they came back, but that there was some some element of like, look, there has to be a crossover here. Like at the end of the day, athletic development is athletic development, whether you're an athlete or a field-based player. And maybe some of the expertise in 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 sprinting or endurance training is is more on the athletic side of things that would benefit, you know, the GA as well. And and vice versa, the GA has an unbelievable you know, set up facilities. There's as you said, there's tracks everywhere, there's also GA pitches everywhere. And what'd be wrong with putting two strips of a sprinting track down the side of every pitch and, 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 and mixing again. So look, it's, I don't think it'll happen anytime soon, but I, I think there's opportunities there, even at club level to, to even start asking like, well, who, where's our, where's our closest athletic club? And, and instead of the sports maybe competing against each other, because there's only so many days in the week that maybe we look at how, how, well, how do we come together? How do we come together for the, for the benefit of, of, of everybody, you know? That kind of progressive thinking, you know, Shane, won't get you anywhere in Ireland. 
Down with that sort of thing. <laughs> Down with that sort of thing. Yeah. Thank, thankfully, I have a, thankfully I have a day job. Uh, so I, I was uh, if I was going out on a limb to try and try and sell that one. But sure, look anyway. I uh, know. Look, I said it's a very valid point. I don't. But I think I'm not too sure whether it was Paul or Massey mentioned it before. But you know, like why are sports trying to stop kids from playing other sports? You know, right? Like why are we fighting them as opposed to you know in the small communities? Um, why don't we work together to kind of excel and and let's supposed to be as good as we can be at everything you know um exactly. excellent shane thanks very much um i suppose look we've got a you've got a, a big summer ahead of you so best luck to yourself and phil and all the rest of the gang and uh hopefully we'll be i suppose looking forward to the olympics and anyway, at least with, with, with something some local interest for us and anyway, so yeah and no, i appreciate that lads now hopefully i didn't waffle on too much and it was uh it hit it hit the spot for for what you want so i, I look I, lo- I love listening to them it's a great um it, it really because I remember I've ever said to Phil I don't know where we were I said this is a, it's a brilliant idea like films and and sport and it was Dara Egan's one was the one because obviously you know with, with Dara but uh, yeah it's brilliant because you get a good insight into into people's thinking and and it's different than just going on and start and talking shop about um about sport isn't it it's like trying to join yeah. up we went we went we went in, down a few rabbit holes on Irish history there as well so it's yeah. great yeah. It's great. Yeah, I actually said it to herself before I came up because we were watching it this evening. I said, now, if you see me on the phone at two o'clock in the morning, I'll be fucking reading about the Battle of Gallipoli and how he died and whatnot. So I said, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great and was great to get the historical influence on it as well. It was, it was fantastic. Um, yeah, well, you know, you, know, you know where to bring the, your teams if you're looking for uh, some inspirational uh, 1798 Rebel <laughs> Camp. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Very good. We'd be grand. I, I enjoyed that, lads. Appreciate it. I appreciate that. Right. Great, best, best, look. best look for the year. Thanks, Thanks, lads. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. We are into season four now, so thanks to everyone who has listened so far. We would be grateful if you would take the time to give us a retweet on, on Twitter or just share with your friends. It would always be great if you could give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It would mean a lot to us. And we'd really appreciate that. Hope you all have a great week. We'll talk to you next Tuesday when we're talking to Barry Dunn and we are watching Little Giants. See you next week, everybody.